Welcome everyone to the Video Game Fury Podcast. It is Friday, March 15, 2019, and I am always your host, Tim Robinson, here to give you the latest in all the video game news, playthroughs, industry chat, and the continuing adventures of me learning and studying the game dev craft. First off, before we begin the show today, I want to first of all say hi and extend apologies here for not having a show for a few weeks here. Probably about two or three weeks now. I haven't been really keeping up with my cadence here on Video Game Fury. Um, I really got no excuse. Just, you know, life can, is um, continues to get in the way <laughs> of the usual things. You know, work and family stuff and some of the health things going on. Nothing too serious, so don't don't worry about that. But, you know, that's really it. It's just... Not not really able to keep the cadence I'm looking for, so I do want to extend apologies for that, and I will strive to do what I can to uh, get a more weekly cadence going with the show. Uh, it continues to be something fun I love to do, I love sharing with you guys, and I hope you're enjoying the material as much as I am, but please obviously you know, keep feedback going here, let me know if there's anything you want to know about that. Um, the other thing I want to do before the show starts here, it's always an unfortunate thing to kind of wake up each morning and you know you, you put on the news and you never know what is going on in the world out there and what potentially other bad news may be going on and it was unfortunate for me to wake up and hear about the tragic mass shootings over in New Zealand uh, a couple of New Zealand mosques I, I believe is what the story had said uh, dozens of people unfortunately uh, were, were killed during this this tragedy you know, this world just seems to, uh, ha- is no short of uh, these, these tragedies happening, mass shootings, you know, uh, whether it's here in uh, the United States or just around the world. And uh, it's hard to really uh, come up with an answer what, what to say here. And I, I know the cliche saying of sending thoughts and prayers uh, sometimes can fall on an empty ears and people want more affirm- or def- definite action, I guess is the way to say it. And I can understand that. I, I totally do. And I, I do feel that you know, we need to do something about this and uh, something about, you know, protecting our people uh, one way or another. I mean, the sentiment for me, honestly, honestly, still holds true. You know, just someone who's here in America, you know, you know, there's not much I can physically do about it right now. But I do I do want to extend thoughts and prayers to uh, the folks who, who were unfortunately killed in this incident and my best to all of the families and loved ones that lost lives during this uh this tragedy yesterday in New Zealand and uh you know the the best I could really say is for 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 everyone out there you know just um you know do what you can to help one another be nice to another I know these are pretty simple common sense things to say and advice on but they still hold true, no matter how you think about it. I think if we were just a little bit nicer each day and just uh, if we wake up on the right side of bed and just know that, hey, everything's going to be fine and that we're all here for each other and we want to do what's do best for each other and for the world we're in, I think it would pay dividends in the long run. So, yeah, I know it's not probably what you're, uh, you're looking, maybe you're looking for. I'm sure you're looking for more concrete answers than that and I wish I did I really wish I did I know just this, this stuff has got to stop and I think just continually making sure we're, we're nice to each other developing good relationships being humble 
and just uh, appreciating everyone that's here that's here is really what what comes down to it here. And I hope that message can get across for a lot of folks here. So, again, all my best to the lives lost uh, during this tragedy here. I give all my best. Let's catch up in a little bit of news here. And as I said, it's been a few weeks since I've done a show, so I know there's been some interesting news items that have gone on a long way here in the video game industry. And the most recent one was pretty bizarre. And even when I first heard the rumor come up, I was like, this just doesn't make sense, both common sense and fiscal sense, too, when you were reading about it. And it was about a potential board-level discussion about Sony buying out Rockstar's parent company, Take-Two. And this was coming from uh, it's like a Market Watch, who was the one who first heard about it, but I'm reading off the VG247 article, and that there was rumors that Sony was in advanced board-level discussions regarding the acquisition of Take-Two Interactive. It was said to be looking as like a cash deal with the value of the company at $130 per share for uh, Joel Colina of Woodbush Securities. And he wanted to be clear, he wanted to be clear about it and said, this is purely unconfirmed market speculation that's making the rounds. Wasn't sure of the source of the story in any regard and not sure who quoted him as he didn't speak with anyone over the phone about it. Now, now of course, a couple of days later, as things started to kind of hammer out a little bit and people were processing, Sony finally, uncharacteristically, doing this too, Sony confirmed and pretty much put the gibosh on that rumor that, that no, they were not pursuing a buyout of Take-Two. But it was a very interesting thing to think about here because, I mean, first of all, we also got to remember, this is the first time that Take-Two was in the acquisition news. If you go back maybe 10 years ago, EA actually was making a bid to take over the company as well. Uh, this was a, a buyout at the time. Uh, again, I'm reading from the VG247 article that had the cash bid of $26 per share, which would have put it around a $2 billion purchase. And eventually the Take-Two CEO, uh, Strauss Zynick, eventually turned it down. So it's not like this hasn't happened before to take twos, which is why when the news came up here, people kind of thought maybe this was this made sense. Now, Sony, this is where the thing would get interesting is that Sony, of all people, making that kind of purchase here. I mean, take two, let's be honest here, take two is not a small publisher. I mean, you know, obviously they got Rockstar and they got the Grand Theft Auto and Red Redemption brands that they're well known for. So those are obviously very highly valued properties that would boost the value of a, a publisher like Take-Two. But, you know, Take-Two's also got the, the 2K games, the sports franchises, whether it's, you know, NBA 2K or the MLB games. I mean, they're obviously not at the pedigree of a license that, you know, games like Madden and FIFA are under the EA brand. But, you know, they still represent a good significant amount of the portfolio that Take-Two has under their belt. Uh, then you got Gearbox, you know, Gearbox, the publisher of the, the Borderlands games, no slouch there as well. So, you know, Take-Two's got some, uh, and Civilization, I think, is another game. Yeah, I know I know that's, you know, kind of a niche strategy property for a lot of folks there, but it's still considered a good part of their portfolio. So Take-Two is no slouch when it comes to the kind of games they have under them uh, that we don't really talk about that much compared to, you know, the other juggernauts like EA and Activision. It just was a weird thing to see from, like, why Sony, of all people, and why would Rockstar want to keep their 
Take Two and Rockstar. Why would they want to keep their highly popular Grand Theft Auto games under the PlayStation brand? Now, granted, Grand Theft Auto got its name made through through PlayStation. I mean, Grand Theft Auto Three is what kind of started the phenomenon for that series, and it was back on the PlayStation Two. And for the longest while, that's where it stayed up until uh, Grand Theft Auto Four, when it eventually came out on PS3 and Xbox 360. So you would, and it's always that it's always a weird thing there too, there because I'm as much as I'm sure Sony would love the exclusiveness behind it, I just can't see Rockstar Green to keeping the franchise under just one one console. As much as a big install base that Sony has on PS4, it just didn't seem to make fiscal sense for them in the long run. So be and. Uh, and Sony is, you know, Sony, I mean, they got big pockets, but, I mean, the kind of deal they're talking about here, I mean, again, we're talking about $130 a share at the time that this acquisition potentially could have happened under at that time, which is not, I don't know how many shares that's, that's talking about here, but that's, that's definitely not cheap. I mean, definitely, if you think about when it was $26 per share for Take-Two 10 years ago, which puts it around $2 billion, you can only imagine how much higher in the billions Take-Two is today. I mean, it's just crazy to think about. And again, Sony is not a small company, but they're not like a Microsoft who has like billions upon billions stored in cash in their pockets that I'm sure would have, you know, if they really wanted to, especially knowing the buying spree that the Xbox division went through last year, buying those five, six companies, starting a new studio in Santa Monica called The Initiative. I mean, one had to think maybe Sony was thinking in response to Microsoft's acquisitions last year that this was why they were doing what they were doing. Not to say that Sony doesn't have a pretty stellar portfolio of studios under their belt. I mean, we've obviously seen the fruits of that labor, whether through Sony Santa Monica, through their God of War series, whether a couple of years before that with Gorilla's uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, and obviously Naughty Dog with the Uncharted and Last of Us series. So... Who knows? Who knows what really came out of it there? I think maybe it was just someone overheard something on the trading desk uh, on the on the stock market floor and thought, "Hey, this speculation is enough for us to be maybe consider boosting up the shares and buy have people buy some more shares and get more investors involved." Who's to really say? Uh, really, it really becomes a non-story at the end of the day. It's just something interesting to think about if this was really relevant that Sony would make this purchase of Take-Two, just having to really think about it and what are the implications for a lot of the studios and franchises under the Take-Two brand and what that would mean for Sony in general. Um, it was just really questionable. I mean, it definitely would have been game-changing, that's for sure. I mean, bringing, you know, the big kahunas and Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead under the Sony brand, again, uh, would definitely be a big coup. Would it make sense for Take-Two and Rockstar itself doing that there? I just don't see it. I don't think I could, t- and I don't think I can see it if this was to come up again. But all in all, at the end of the day, it means nothing because it's just not going to happen now. The other thing I wanted to talk about that was news that came up more from last week was EA uh, is once again in the spotlight, and but in this case, it might be actually a good thing that they are doing this year. As you probably know, the last few years, EA has kind of skipped E3 slash not really skipped E3 because they still do an EA Play events, they call it, uh, during the E3 weekend. They just don't do it at the actual convention. They pretty much just do their own thing uh, between the conference and 
and uh, the uh, shoot, my mind's going wild here. <laughs> the the actual EA Play like convention in terms of like fan events, gameplay demos, and so on. And with the interesting thing we're hearing this year is EA announced they are doing a EA Play event again preceding E3 on the on the E3 weekend, but they are not actually going to do their annual press conference. So this is what I'm reading from GameInformer.com as they broke the news here. Uh, they say the event, which will take place on June 7th and 9th of this year, and just a few days before E3 kicks off, is going to have its first day with basically live streams featuring gameplay, insights from the teams on some of EA's biggest titles. And in the last two days, are going to have players attend the event, getting hands-on time with EA games, getting seeing streams done from content creators and YouTubers and so on. And then they'll have some exclusive... Gameplay reveals, developer talks, and potentially some breaking news, Who, whatever breaking news may be. Maybe reveals on the show floor, for all we know. And the tickets on sale uh, go on sale for this next month for those uh, who want to attend. So, very interesting approach here. Though. So, it looks like they're definitely keeping the fan event here, where they're going to let people and the press come in, talk to the teams, play some games, and maybe break some news on their, on their sites. What I thought was interesting here, again, is just that they are not doing the press conference this year. And you kind of think about that for a bit. I think, I, think it's a, I think it's an interesting play to go with, and it might be the right move. Because let's be honest with ourselves. If we looked at the last two years of EA doing EA play and doing their, their, their annual press conference... They really have not done very well with that presentation. And I think a lot of that that people have speculated, and I, I can agree with this, is that these the, the, the press conferences they're doing for these shows are really more tailored to the investors than they are the fan base. And I know they may throw a bone every now and then to get some fans excited about some new experiences. Um, you know, last year they showed a couple mini games there. Uh, Unravel Two was one of them. Uh, it was another one that I'm forgetting the name, but it's, it was an indie game where you were in the sea, uh, fighting monsters. Forgive me if I'm. I think it's Sea of Solitude, if I remember correctly. But really, when it comes down to it, I mean, it's an investor show because at the end they they're showing off their tried and true games. So you always know you're gonna get some new iteration of FIFA, a new iteration of Madden, and uh, yeah, other than that, maybe. You know, if Dice has got a Battlefield game in, or or if there's a Star Wars presentation, they'll have that in there as well. Uh, they'll usually close it off with some kind of key game to, to close off the show. Uh, last year, of course, being Anthem. But people just have uh, not really, you know, the fans and press have not stayed keen to their press conferences the way they've hooked on to a Sony press conference or a Microsoft or even an Ubisoft conference because. You know, even though they were supposed to be press events, but with the advent of being able to stream this stuff live on uh, on TV and on, on the internet and so on, you know, they become fan events that people get excited for for those game breaking announcements. And I just think EA just the last couple of con- press conferences have just come off as very robotic, I guess is the way the word. And again, it just goes to the fact that I think they just don't tailor it to people like you and me. They're doing it for the investors that. Hey, we want to make sure we can still pump money into you guys to invest in these games. What do you got? And, you know, of course, we're going to get FIFA. We're going to get Madden because those are the big sellers uh, for, for EA for, for the longest time. And they want to know that it's going to keep making the money. So, and really, and, you know, and of course, you got other things like they show, like the, the mobile 
Command and Conquer game uh, last last year, doing a little demo on the floor that was like, you know, cameras zooming in on their phones to, to watch this 20-minute demo that people were like, all right, let's get moving. That didn't really sell well to a lot of people as well. But again, it's mobile. Everyone's talking about mobile games nowadays. That's why, you know, Blizzard's doing its thing now, probably on orders from Activision to make Diablo Immortal and other mobile versions of their franchises. It's 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 not the audience we probably are. We're we're in the console and PC base, but you know, they you can't deny the potential of, you know, everyone having a phone, and especially in the case of, you know, markets like China, which has a huge mobile install base. They're going basically where the eyeballs are at the end of the day. It just stinks for us because we want to see so much from these guys here between, you know, the games that come from BioWare, the games that come from DICE, the games that come from Respawn. And, you know, the focus, just the, the presentation just doesn't seem to kind of have that pizzazz. Let's just put it that way. So it might be a good idea for them. I think that this is probably the smart idea right now. Not so much that they're... Not that they're going to openly admit that they've done some bad things at these press conferences, but I think they've come to realize, you know, one, they need to really get the, get the favor of the fans back in them here. I think, obviously, all the controversies they've had over the last couple of years, dating to, like, the uh, uh, the launch of Battlefront 2 and the whole loot box of microtransaction controversy to the uh, the closing of, of studios like Visceral that was making that... Amy Henning led Star Wars game, which eventually got repivoted to a more bigger game of games of service, which we then also learned that that game is now being brought back to a smaller game as well. So the the saga of what is EA doing with the Star Wars license continues to be a struggle for them, considering that they've had the license for so long and have only had two Battlefront games come out, both of them uh, having some controversy. And really beyond that, I mean, the other thing to think of, and this is kind of the the same way to think about like with Sony like what else does EA have that they can really put out there i mean let's again i mean you got your sports franchises but do we really want to continually see new updates to FIFA and Madden and whatever else is in their EA sports brands i can't see happening much there and then you know again unless they were doing this tailored to investors that would be great for them but we'd be like this is boring We've, we we know what we're getting with these franchises you don't need to spend half an hour talking about FIFA and you know Anthem had just come out and of course it's got it's own share of controversy going on right now but you don't have really anything to show there maybe they'll show updates on some of the they would show updates on some of the DLC and uh, on the roadmap that Bioware is promising on this game so Maybe that's, but how much are you really going to spend on, you know, on additional content for a game that just came out? Probably not much. And then, of course, Respawn just came out with Apex Legends, which is glowing for everyone here, the way they shadow-dropped it uh, last month. And it continues to be a really readily played game, like 50 million users, I think is what Vincent Pella said they reached a, a goal recently on Twitter. And uh, it's a game I continue to see popping up so much more on Twitch as I do Fortnite. So Respawn's got something in the park there as well. But to me, what else are they going to do uh, to show off that game? Maybe new skins and new players and so on. And again, of course, you know, they also got the Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order game coming out potentially this fall during the holidays. But it was already announced that they are going to reveal that game at Star Wars Celebration next month. So you don't really... Are you really going to show more of that game again when it's already been shown two months prior at Star Wars Celebration? 
I, I mean, unless they had a, a plan to, like, show just a teaser trailer at Star Wars Celebration and then show the real gameplay of at, e, at E3, maybe that maybe that's the plan. It wouldn't be the first time that's happened before. Uh, I remember Destiny 2 doing that, Bungie showing that game uh, on its own event first, and then dived into more gameplay reveals during E3. So maybe it's not too off-putting to think that they uh, respawn would do something like that. And then also they have some premium content coming in the Titanfall universe that they said they announced for later this year as well. Not outright saying it will be a Titanfall 3, just saying it is a game set in that universe. So I mean, beyond that, I mean, what else is EA really going to show? I mean, it's 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 again, it's the Sony issue where, as much as I think Sony believes that you know E three is not as relevant now as it was like twenty years ago, I mean, I also of the belief that Sony just doesn't really have much to show. I mean, between other than you know the the games we already know about, like Ghost of Tsushima and Last of Us Two, for example, I mean, are we really just gonna show another trailer just? on a game we know is coming out soon. I mean, other than that, what else is Sony doing? I, I think that's another reason why they're opting out of E3, much like they opted out of PSX last year. So it's an interesting time right now. So, I mean, I think EA is doing the right thing and right in doing a reset and kind of re-examining itself here. And I think the, you know, the, the EA Play event itself is going to be really telling about, you know, what kind of success they're going to get out of it. And I wonder what kind of breaking news potentially they could have that wouldn't, that would not just, that would justify not having a press conference. We'll just have to see. But it, but it does tell you a lot about the scale of E3 lately. I mean, look at, again, look at what's going on here. I mean, we've already had EA out of E3 doing their own thing for the last few couple years, and now they're not even doing a press conference. Sony, as I just mentioned, opted out of E3 entirely, the first time ever they did in E3's 25-year history. Um, you know, Microsoft is, is there, but they're across the street doing their own thing. And uh, last year they did like a, like a mixer stream uh, on the show floor of everything there that was going on next door. Um, that really leaves just, and you know, even Nintendo, I mean, yeah, Nintendo's still kind of live on the floor too, but they don't do a press conference. They haven't done that for a long time now. They're just opting to do Nintendo Directs, which would then segue into a Trios live stream where the folks from Nintendo America would interview a developer, talk about the big game that was coming out that year for Nintendo. So one way or another, there's there's some kind of variation and change going on, whether it's someone dropping out entirely or just doing things differently at E3 this year. I mean, at the end of the day, the only press conferences we're going to have are Microsoft, Bethesda, Ubisoft, and Nintendo. And we're still three months away from E3 here. Who's to say that's not going to change you know, very soon here? Um, I mean, it does kind of bring to question what Sony brought to light, was that is E3 still really relevant in this day and age where we're in 2019, all of our information we can get easily online. There's, there's companies like Nintendo who've just opted to go with a pre-recorded uh, streaming or, and streaming uh, video presentation. So, and, you know, video games being as mainstream as they are today, I mean, does E3 really still hold water? I mean, do we really need it when these companies can easily get the same kind of return just doing their own thing? Just maybe doing what Nintendo does, put out their own recording and save on the overhead. I mean, I, I can't imagine E3 is cheap for these companies when it comes to 
reserving a, a stage to do a press conferences or or, or, or preserving uh, space on the show floor to uh, put up demo booths and uh, have, have people talk to each other. I mean, I can't imagine that stuff is cheap, and especially at the uh, Los Angeles Convention Center that they have it in every year. So a lot of questions about the relevance of E3 itself here. It'll be very interesting to see what 2019's version is going to look like, especially knowing that Sony is out completely out of the picture and EA has just decided to do their own thing. Uh, I'll be very curious in general with that. But back to the topic of EA, I think this is probably a good approach here. They need to... I will at least... I would at least give them credit compared to Activision, where you know Activision is just saying, "Hey, we've got record profits. Let's fire people." So, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to make light of that there because it's sad that there's so many people out there who lost jobs, and I hope the the folks who did let go at Activision are getting back on their feet. But um, you know, back to my original point, I at least think EA is at least trying to save face a little bit here. I mean, they were. They are obviously a big company, and they've relied a lot on, you know, the idea of microtransactions funding, funding the bottom line, being the long term tail that people can count on to keep a game going and, and generating revenue for the long term. But it is going to come to fruition. I mean, I have anything, it is going to come to a head very soon when they have to make a decision about how they want to pivot next. Because clearly, the controversy of Battlefront two a couple of years ago reared its ugly head forced a lot of changes on the EA side, and I'm hoping they're rethinking a lot of that as they go into their EA Play, this, EA Play event this year. So hopefully this is a good sign of turning turning things around for EA. I Obviously, as, as much as we like to hate on the big publishers and their, their corporate actions and, and their love for capitalism, I, I always try to have that hope that they still have the good intention in mind to reach out to the gamers and give them something more of what the, what they've loved about EA in the past. We are just going to have to see if that will come to fruition at EA Play this year. Last thing on the show today I wanted to cover is... I meant to do this a few weeks back and I just couldn't uh, process enough of it here to, to get a, give a formal opinion, but... I did go to the Unity Developer Day in New York City here, uh, the, in Times Square at the Microsoft uh, Tech Building. And this is an event I, I love going to. And it was good for me at this time here because I think I've just kind of lost a lot of traction in terms of my, my game dev studying and, and learning and crafting and so on. And, you know, if you're not familiar with this stuff, it, it's basically, Unity is basically going around the world, doing these different developer day events, basically showcasing what's on the roadmap, what are some of the cool features that are coming out, have all these different panels of people introducing new, neat tips, neat features, and how they work, and even some other uh, discussions that revolve around uh, politics and so on. And I, I love doing this there. I, mean, I think it's great to kind of see what's coming up, but also see kind of what are some of the cool things that these folks at uh, Unity and, uh, and the other developers in the New York space are doing. And it's really encouraging for me because, I mean, honestly, again, I mean, I, I do what I can to to learn the stuff. I still love it. I, I still have a goal to potentially put out some game out there. I, I don't have a vision of this being something full-time for me. It's just a dream I've had since uh, I got out of college when I was first learning about game development. And uh, it kind of just fell to the side for a bit because of 
school and needing to get a job and so on. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, I mean, you, you do what you can. I, I think at the end of the day, I, I appreciate the fact that I took a little longer to get back into this because I look back then now at college, I definitely was not ready to join the game in those space. And I don't think the industry itself was ready for that too. Uh, for, for as much as games are getting popular there, I don't think there was a true tried way of education formally to get people like me out there and, and learning the stuff. I kind of had to go on my own and take some self-paced stuff, which just, again, fortunately didn't work out. And it wasn't until I discovered Playcrafting and, and the Unity engine that I really felt the passion come back and, and get the, get back ramped up and learning the stuff. Still a lot to learn because, like I said, I've kind of fallen off the beaten path the last few months just because of work and family stuff. But that's kind of where I am right now. And I think the Unity Developer Day was really helpful to rekindle that fire. I mean, I won't bore you with too much of the details here um, about some of the nitty-gritty stuff there. Some of that stuff I'm even just learning on my own. But... You know, the cool thing is just knowing what these guys are doing to really stay on top of the game and, you know, staying up there with Unreal and really giving features that are pretty cool here. Like one one of them I saw was the uh, visual effects graph that was being demoed in one of the panels. If you're uh, familiar for Unity there, like they have a feature called particle effects where you can create all your different explosions or, you know, create like fires or, or water pouring out of a, of a pipe or something, for example. Uh, very interesting stuff there, the, the way they use particle effects. And this one, the particle effects graph, was pr pretty pretty dope there. Like, it was all uh, combining different shades and gradients and, um, you know, just the, really the visual fidelity behind it was pretty impressive. It was definitely one of the highlights uh, that started off for me there. Just being seen how to kind of group things together is it, it definitely, you know, my, my thing about particle effects is that there's so many lovers to play with on its own that it became almost too confusing for me to use and, and, and as a feature and this kind of creates the f idea of nodes where you can group things together and one actually is dependent on another depending on certain events it'll trigger some kind of other particle effect it's just a nice neater and cleaner way to uh organize visual effects and i think it's definitely one of the big highlights and i, I could i could f sense the rest of the room really loved this new feature and had a lot of ideas about how they want to apply the their own visual effects into their games. So that was one big highlight there. Uh, they also had something cool called Project Tiny, <laughs> which is a pretty funny thing to, uh, to, to learn about here. It's basically, basically it's a new kind of solution to make uh, games create faster. I guess is the way to do it there. Like, you know, it's particularly on like a mobile game. Uh, you want to make sure that you have the right performance and your your file size is not too much to the point that it could slow down and degrade the performance. And I think they found a way to do a lot of compression and really just uh, help help make the efficiency of making getting a game out much quicker. And uh, I, I just was floored by how quick they were able to do it. Like, he literally... I mean, never mind, these panels are, like, 45 minutes to an hour. Probably not even. And this guy was, like... I mean, he didn't create a, a whole game from scratch. He would definitely require more time than that. But he had all the templates ready and, you know, the, the core the core of his game. It was, like, a dinosaur uh, rail, rail shooter type of game. 2D, of course, side-scrolling uh, with puzzles. 
but it was deployed like dramatically quickly. Like the way it was compiled and built was ten ten times faster than the typical build I've seen done in Unity. And uh, I think this is definitely helpful for folks who are really doing trying to do something small, trying to put something out in the app store. Uh, I think I think it really helps a lot of those folks there who are worried about you know getting the rights compression and making sure the game is uh, at the utmost optimized performance so if you want to check that out if you're developing there project tiny is the name of the project that you can learn about from the unity guys and the other panel i thought that was really cool it just said nothing to do with features or anything there but was uh it was a uh a woman who was from afghanistan and you know she was uh, sharing basically sharing her story about you know how she strived to learn coding and especially in the environment she is i mean if you're not familiar with how afghanistan was for a time there especially during the taliban days you know the the women there were very uh oppressed uh were not allowed to do a lot of things had to wear things a certain way and you know this was a a, a girl um, forgive me i'm forgetting her name so i can't detail much more than that but she dealt with uh, a lot of oppression there and especially in her, her the, the hometown she grew up in and uh, her family had to you know eva- evacuates during that era and and i didn't get the full reason why there but supposedly she can't go back or rather she if she does go back I mean, she's residing now in in the u.s now but if she were to go back uh, she wouldn't be able to come back in because something about immigration status is forcing her uh to make to not be able to travel back uh to other countries if she was to go back to afghanistan and she, in in doing that here from the from New York of all places, uh, she was uh, actually able to start a girls coding school in Afghanistan from here in New York, and being able to have great resources and great help with companies like Microsoft, uh, help her get the resources she needs to supply with, you know, uh, space for the the class, supply the laptops and the uh, software materials. And she was just showing pictures of and videos of the the girls there, uh, teenagers like in the range of like 13, 16 years old, you know, making games, making some cool side scrollers, making some games that were related to uh, some of the stuff and the politics they were going through. It was pretty enriching to to see this uh, and shows that you know the power of, of learning something like coding. We even if it's not a game, just coding in general uh, can really change. Uh, you know, maybe change, uh, um, you know, the world around there. Forgive me, just lock a better thought there. <laughs> but I think you get what I'm saying there. It's just encouraging to see other cultures, other uh, uh, genders and so on, really thinking hard about, you know, making an impact in these areas. And it's, it's something I strive to as well a lot, especially in my work. Uh, I've always wanted to do a lot of volunteer work, help uh, teach kids some coding. I think, you know, this stuff is going to be the big future as we get more ingrained in technology as time goes by i think it's very important for the the future generations to know a lot of the stuff as they you know start moving themselves into the adult world that we're in today so that was i mean there were other other cool things there i think at the end of the day those are the three that really stood out to me on unity developer day um still gotta get back on my feet in terms of learning more of the coding myself uh trying to continue to learn more about some some 3d uh, first-person perspective uh, shooters and action adventures that I'm learning through uh, a Unity authorization course I'm taking. 
But uh, an event like this is where you really get that kind of inspiration. I just wanted to share that real quick uh, for any of the, the game devs out there listening to the show that need a kind of inspiration. Go to these events. Go look, go look for them uh, in your area there. I mean, obviously, a lot of these events are going to happen more in like the metropolitan areas like in New York or like a L.A. or San Francisco. But, you know, if any opportunity you guys have to get inspiration, to network, uh, to really see what's out there and what you can do to enhance any kind of games you're build, you're trying to build or design yourselves, go take them. Find a meetup group, too. Even if, if it's in, a, in an area that's close to you, I'm would it'll be interesting to see if you guys can you know put together a meetup group get together and just network and inspire one another i think it's a i think it's a cool thing to do and i think it definitely uh helps build that community better as uh, time goes by that is it for me folks thank you so much for bearing with me and uh, again apologies for uh, not having these shows out quicker but i am striving to get back on the weekly cadence so i can give you more gaming goodness here in the video game fury landscape until then, folks, this has been Tim Robinson. Thank you once again for your time. You can find me the usual ways here, all the podcast services for Video Game Fury, iTunes, Apple, uh, Google Play, Spotify. I'm all over there if you want to download and keep track of me. And you can also go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash videogamefury79, if you want to do that over there. And you can also email me, tim at videogamefury.com, if you rather have a little more written content from there. Maybe we'll read it out through the show. Maybe you have feedback on anything I discussed or something you disagree with. Totally on board with any of that here if you want to be part of the show. Until then, folks, thank you so much for everything. We will be back next week for another edition of the show. Until then, this has been Tim, and enjoy your games.